ABC Radio and on the ABC Listen app. This is Suzanne Hill. Yes, screens are everywhere these days, aren't they? It seems more and more if you want to get something done, it's going to involve a screen. Very often that means reading from a screen. Have you noticed sometimes it's hard to get your head around complicated things when you're reading about them on a screen? Do you find yourself printing it off to read? Well, if you do, there's a good reason. Research suggests that reading on screens is a less effective way to absorb and retain information than reading the old-fashioned way on paper. Now, I've got uh, Eric Reichel here, a professor of cognitive psychology at Macquarie University's Centre for Reading, where researchers have uh, recently conducted a review on how reading is changing in the digital age. And if you've got questions you'd like to throw in, 1300 800 222 is the number, or the SMS 0467 922 702. Hey, Eric, welcome to Nightlife. Hello, thank you for having me. So I want to hear all about reading from screens versus paper in a, in a bit, but let's look at reading more broadly. And I guess a good starting place is to ask, how do we read? What are our brains actually doing when we read? Okay, that's a good question. So reading by far is the most difficult cognitive task that we routinely do that we're not biologically predisposed to do. So in contrast to spoken language, where our brains are structured to acquire language, reading is learning how to read is a very laborious process. It requires formal education and years and years of practice. So to become a skilled reader, you have to be able to rapidly identify printed words on a page, um, but you also have to coordinate that with the movement of the eyes and the movement of attention and using the meaning of the individual words to construct the meaning of the overall sentence and the, te- the broader text that you're reading. So all of these mental processes, they take time to complete and they have to be highly coordinated if you're going to read fast. So is reading a relatively new thing to humanity? How long have we been reading for? So the archaeological evidence suggests that reading has been around for around 5,500 years. Uh, So in terms of an evolutionary perspective, uh, just the blink of an eye. Um, A lot of it early on was quite simple, right? Numbers, for example, keeping records. Yeah, um, the earliest evidence for writing in the Middle East, um, cuneiform, uh, suggests that it was basically record keeping, you know, keeping inventories of grain and probably some simple mathematics. And when did that evolve to written language to convey more complicated things? When did we start getting much more sophisticated with us? So it probably happened over millennia, and it happened at different points in time and different points or different places in the world. Um, So, for example, I I indicated in the Middle East, um, language started maybe 5,500 years ago. Uh, In China, it was around 3,200 years ago, and it seemed to evolve independently. Um, in Central America, um, it was probably around eight or 900 years ago, very different writing system. Uh, and over time, there have been adaptations to the writing systems that are used. So, for example, in the Middle East, um, cuneiform evolved into um, an alphabet used by the Phoenicians, uh, which was phonetically sounded out. And then at some later point in time, uh, ancient Greeks took it and Uh, adapted it by inserting or inventing letters that represent the vowels. So it's been a progressive uh, process where um, 
you know, over millennia, the writing systems have changed. They've become uh, more useful mm. for representing the, what, the speech. So I guess, though, with the evolution of, of writing, the evolution not just of reading but of teaching reading has got to have evolved, hasn't it? Because it's, it's become, well, I mean, there are so many studies done in just how you teach reading. That's correct. So uh, that's a big issue in Australia right now because, you know, um, the evidence has been around for a, a long time, actually, but uh, the debate between whether you teach somebody a whole word recognition or use phonics to sound out the words, the evidence has been pretty clear. And so... I think Australia is moving towards the phonics-based system, which the evidence indicates that is the better system. Mm. So, uh, I mean, obviously we can understand learning to speak and listen was really important to our early ancestors' survival, which shaped our evolution, but being able to read wasn't necessarily a live-or-die situation. But uh, how can our brain do something so complicated when it wasn't necessary for survival? So the way we read basically through years and years of practice we cobble together systems that evolve to do other things so spoken language is one of those systems mm -hmm. but also uh, visual pattern recognition and the ability to retrieve um, visual patterns from memory very quickly um, the ability to move the eyes and to shift attention very quickly and as i said earlier all of this has to be highly coordinated to read at a at a maximum reading speed of you know maybe 300 50, 380 words per minute. So it's kind of really miraculous that we learned to do something so sophisticated. It is. It's, it's a pretty remarkable skill. And if you think about it, um, Carl Sagan's written about this. Um, reading is basically the foundation upon which, um, you know, history, but also science, religion, everything kind of rests upon that foundation of being able to read and write. Uh, I've got Eric Reichel here, Professor of Cognitive Psychology at the Macquarie University Centre for Reading. So Eric, are some languages easier to read and to learn than others? You know, do they, did some of them require different parts of the brain? So there have been brain imaging studies that have directly looked at or compared um, skilled readers in various languages like Hebrew, English, German, uh, Chinese. And to a large extent, the networks of cortical areas that support skilled reading are the same across languages and writing systems. The one notable exception seems to be Chinese. And with Chinese, um, there seems to be more involvement of the visual cortical areas, more bilateral involvement of the visual cortical areas. Um, and that's thought to be due to the fact that in the Chinese writing system, they use these very complex characters, right? So it's a very different writing system. It's more visually based. Um, also, another difference with Chinese is the, the brain region that's involved in writing seem to become active when people identify printed characters. And that's because when they're learning how to read, they spend a huge amount of time writing out the characters. So when, you, when a, Chinese, a native Chinese reader looks at a character, um, they not only retrieve the pronunciation and the meaning, but also information about how that character is actually written. So different parts of the brain, not necessarily more brain power or? Well, different brain regions seem to be recruited. But like I said, um, you know, the networks that support um, reading as a whole seem to be very uh, similar across languages and writing systems. Mm. So, Eric, if we uh, fast forward to the digital age where we now find ourselves reading from screens, what does the research say about our ability to absorb information from screens versus reading it on paper? Yeah, so there have been a couple of review papers, including the one that we wrote, um, and the evidence suggests that 
comprehension seems to be impaired when reading on a screen versus on paper. Um, we don't exactly know the reason why, but knowing what I know about reading, um, one you know, very plausible hypothesis is when we're reading on screens, we tend to read a different type of material than when we read on paper. Right? So if you think about what you do when you read on screen, um, you tend to read news articles where you might skim through the text to look for mm-hmm. the key point, or you might spend a lot of time reading social media, reading posts, where, again, you're uh, reading short sound bites, basically. Um, and so to the extent that you engage in that kind of skimming or superficial reading, um, you basically you learn a bad habit right? that then transfers to um, – other more meaningful material. So if, you, if you're trying to read an article, for example, mm-hmm. online, um, you develop this bad habit of kind of skimming and superficially processing the text, and that then transfers over to a situation where it would be more beneficial to actually read it as you would um, something that's written on paper. So we're kind of training ourselves to not take that much in when we say looking at social media. Yep, that's right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> And then what does that mean, though? I mean, so you're saying then when we try to read anything else on a screen, we've got this kind of ingrained uh, habit where we say we're not going to take that much in. Yeah, so I I think that's the case, right? It hasn't been definitively shown. But in addition to that, um, there are other differences between reading on screen versus on paper. So if you're sitting at a computer, you're sitting upright, it's not necessarily very comfortable. Um, The screen itself can generate heat, which might dry the eyes. Uh, If you're looking at something online, there are usually ads and pop-up ads and distractors. So all of those differences also might contribute um, in terms of uh, reducing comprehension. But even controlling for those variables, um, there still seems to be a benefit for reading on paper. A lot of us would say that the modern age has ruined our attention spans, particularly the iPhone. So would it not follow that if we were sort of being trained not to take things in that well, that when we went and sat down and read a paper book, we might have the same problems? Yep, there might be some transfer. Did yeah. you study that? No, that hasn't been looked at. Um, there are some methodological difficulties um, related to answering that question directly, but it's something that I'm very curious about and I would like to know the answer to it. Yeah. It's very important, right, in terms of education. And if you think about um, what's happened in the last few years with COVID and the massive rollout of online education without any real understanding of what the long-term consequences of that are, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty important question. Mm. So do you think we've rushed into using computers a lot more in schools than we used to? Well, out of necessity, we had to, right, during COVID. But COVID's no longer as big of an issue, and it's probably time to invest some money in research and and answer these questions. And I would also say that the answers to the question might be more nuanced rather than, you know, paper's good, screens are bad, Mm. because there are other benefits for reading on screen. You know, if you have a, a Kindle, for example, you can carry a whole library with you. Or in the case of a child, you know, motivating a child to spend time reading, it might be easier if they're reading something online. So there are advantages to reading online, but in terms of um, you know reading something that requires deep comprehension, uh, it seems to be the case that you're better off reading it on paper. Isn't that interesting? Surely, I mean, I always find that if I really want to take something in, I would write it down as well. How important is that? 
So I'm not an expert on writing, but um, what I know about human memory, um, writing is useful because basically it forces you to think deeply about the content of whatever it is you're writing, and that causes the information to be better represented in memory and more accessible later. Uh, I've got Eric Reichel here, Professor of Cognitive Psychology at the Macquarie University Centre for Reading. If you've got a question or a thought, one three hundred eight hundred triple two or the SMS 0467-922-702. Hannah says, oh, I also hate reading anything online. I much prefer to read hardcover books or documents on A4 paper. I'd rather receive a handwritten letter in the post than an email. Well, that would be lovely, Hannah. <laughs> Sounds like a real flashback, yeah. Uh, Robin says... Reading, fantastic uh, topic. The first code-breaking device, our brain. Yeah, thanks, mm. <laughs> thanks, Robin. Now, um, I believe, Eric, that one study also looked at the relationship between reading on a screen and a reader's susceptibility to misinformation. Explain more about that. Yeah, so that was a study that was done by colleagues of mine at the University of Sydney. And basically what they found is that if you um, are reading on a digital screen, and especially if that screen is small, and you read something that is um, incorrect, and then later on you're given a new piece of information that corrects that initial inaccuracy, people are less likely to kind of update their understanding of the situation if they're reading on a screen, right? So if you read something about a a fire being caused by arson, and then later on um, the text explicitly says, no, it wasn't arson, it was a lightning strike, if you're reading something on, on a screen like that, uh, you're less likely to correct yourself and, and remember the, the correct information later. And what's the thinking about what's going on there? So again, I think it reflects the more superficial comprehension mm-hmm. of the material when you're reading on a screen. And in order to remember something well, you have to first understand it. So if you're not um, accurately understanding the content it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to remember it later on. Mm. You mentioned the size of the screen. Why is that important? So there are probably a number of reasons here too. So um, if the screen is small and you have to advance through the text by scrolling, for example, that actually requires a little bit of thought to control the scroll rates and all the rest. And so to the extent that you're engaging in a secondary task of you know, navigating through the uh, text, um, oh, yeah, trying to make it bigger or smaller yeah. and then you've scrolled too far and then you've got to go back up. So working memory is very limited in capacity and you draw away some of those working memory resources and the resources that you draw away you can no longer use to comprehend the text that you're reading. Yeah, amazing stuff. Okay. So if someone finds that they're not reading in depth anymore due to using screens more often, what can they do about it? Would you suggest a kind of detox from reading on screen? Yeah, that seems like a really good idea. Um, A couple of the people that have commented have indicated they prefer reading paper. I personally prefer reading paper. And when I have to read an article or, you know, a a report that a student writes, I I tend to print it out and sit down with it. Now, I've got a question here from George. Not sure if this one's going to be uh, one that you can take on, um, Eric, but we'll we'll give it a go. Hey, George. 
Oh, good day, Suzanne. Good day, Eric. Yeah, I just thought I'd ask this area I've, I've been long interested in, uh, and I heard various reports which I want to ask Eric about the validity about it. He said about the possible physiological changes to do with the reading of screens, particularly uh, with phones, and the fact you tend to be reading them uh, a lot closer to your eyes than you might do with, uh, you know, books, particularly larger print books, because obviously the smaller uh, size of the print on uh, on screens on phones. In particular, and the fact that uh, supposedly, if, if you're a young uh, child who grows up reading these screens, that you might actually be the act of straining uh, with your muscles and your eyes to look at these small uh, fonts, you can actually cause uh, increases in the length of one's eyeballs, leading to long-term short-sightedness. Now, uh, so you uh, want to know I, if I that's uh, if that's scientifically yeah, bad? Yeah, yeah. There's also there's also the fact that you're reading off something that's got a uh, a flick rate, the image sort of flickers and that your eye is actually slowly adjusting uh, very quickly to that, that flicker rate and that might also lead to uh, long-term compensatory mechanisms in the, in the muscles which might, might make it difficult then to look at uh, a more fixed image on a yeah. page. Alright George, let's put that one to, uh, to Eric. I'm not sure Eric if that's your area of expertise. Um, oh, Actually, sorry. Actually no, it's not. Um, yeah. The first point that was raised about eye strain, that seems very plausible to me. Um, the second point about the flicker rate and, you know, adaptation of the eye to the flicker rate, uh, that doesn't seem very plausible, but I don't know of any research that speaks to that issue directly. It's a good question. No, it certainly doesn't sound very nice, your eyeball being extended. Thanks, George. Uh, Anne from Sydney. Hey, Anne. Oh, oh hi. Hello. Hello. Now, you're a teacher? Uh, yes, I am. I'm sorry. I just thought I was leaving a note, but um, oh, here you are yeah. on the radio, Anne. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Um, look, I worked throughout COVID at school with with the children, and because of the, the laws, um, because we couldn't actually teach, so we it had to use online the whole time. It had to be iPads and to to working with the program for the children at home. I'm now working with the same children from the COVID groups that have moved on into the senior primary school, they, they just missed. It, it's like it may as well have not have happened. We have to take them back to basics. We have to take them back to to learning the alphabet, to learning the phon- phonological awareness, to learning the phonics, to learning to read. It has to be hands-on. There is that hand-to-brain connection that if they don't get it, the screens don't give it to them. It has to be hold the pencil, write the letter, hear the sound, write the word, get that grapheme, phoneme connection. It just, it's just, it's, we've got an ancient brain that don't, that won't learn to read without that, that connection. Interesting. And so the research that Eric's done, you very much sort of have lived that. Oh, lived it. And we're living yeah. it. We are living it every day. <laughs> hey, thanks, sir. Uh, thanks. every school across the world. It's not just an Australian phenomenon. It's yeah. a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. Eric, are you nodding your head there? Yeah, so another piece that's missing probably from what happened, um, you know, in the education system the past few years, the social connection between the teacher and the child, mm. I think that's also extremely important and can't be kind of underrated, the importance. Um, mm. So... 
Yeah. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks. And sorry, we accidentally put you on the radio there when you thought you were leaving a note. Um, now, um, Edu says, can you expand on skim reading? I had a partner who can read many books a week. Um, she explained to me that she did not read, but looked at the paragraph as a picture. I can attest that she used my library membership to get extra books as she was only allowed seven books a week. Yeah, you've um, talked to us, I think, before actually about speed reading. Mm-hmm. What does determine the speed of human reading? So there has been a lot of research on this topic, and the available evidence indicates that a maximum reading speed with full comprehension is on the order of 350, 380 words per minute. And to the extent that you exceed that rate, comprehension is going to drop off proportionally. Um, So, you know, claims, extreme claims that, you know, speed readers can read 10,000 words per minute... um, that's simply not true. Um, so, you know, I'm not doubting what the readers or the <laughs> person said, but to the extent that they're skimming through the book, their comprehension is going to be really, really poor. Okay. There are some books that you could surely, as you go, filter out a lot of extra descriptions and adjectives and still know what the story was. Well, the visual system is, the visual acuity of the visual system is very limited. And our ability to perceive letters individual letters, we can only perceive around eight or nine letters at a time. So if you think about that, what it means is that we actually have to physically move our eyes to most of the words in the text, and those eye movements take time, right? They take on the order of uh, 200 milliseconds to program, and it takes about 60 milliseconds for the visual information to go from the eyes to the brain. It takes another 120, 150 milliseconds to identify the word, so if you add up all the math, um, basically what that says is that the maximum reading rate, if you're going to identify all the words, which is important for understanding the text, is around 350, 380 words per minute. And empirical studies that use eye tracking to look at this issue uh, agree completely with that estimate. Okay, so people who claim that they really can speed read, not they're just skipping some of the words. I call bullshit. Oh, <laughs> No swearing on the oh, ABC, sorry. please, Eric. <laughs> uh, I've got Eric Reichel here, Professor of Cognitive Psychology at the Macquarie University Centre for Reading. Now, um, someone says, have there been studies into the correlation between emotional development and reading and comprehension? So I have a really good colleague and friend, um, Genevieve MacArthur, who's looking at that very issue because children with reading disabilities often suffer from anxiety issues. Um, I don't know very much about that topic, but mm-hmm. I know it's a, it's a topic that is something that's only recently uh, become of interest to scientists and it is being researched. Uh, is there any kind of thinking about why that might be? Uh, well, reading is incredibly important, right? So it's highly predictive of socioeconomic status, mental health, physical health. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure for children to learn how to read and become skilled readers. So I can imagine if you're one of the children that has difficulty with this and you're in a classroom and you see your peers um, becoming more and more proficient and you're not, 
that has to be anxiety provoking. And for the adult who hasn't mastered reading, who has to spend their life masking that or finding yep. workarounds, that would yep. be incredibly anxiety um, inducing as well. Claire says, I've noticed that when I read a book, I get distracted and tired easily. It feels a bit like when I look at my phone, I'm taking in heaps of information, like I'm driving 100k on the freeway. But when I go to read a book, it's like I go to the suburbs and drive at 40k's an hour slower and less stimulation for my brain. Um, because if the screens, it's about the dopamine hit that you're getting, isn't it? Yeah. And it could also be uh, reading different media at different times of day. So if she's reading, um, you know, on a screen uh, in the morning when she's awake on the way to work or something, that could be very different than coming home in the evening and being tired from a day at work and sitting down with the book and not being able to concentrate. Yeah. Oh, dear. I love that description, though, Claire. Uh, reading's like going to the science and driving <laughs> at 40 k's. Uh, Robin says, reading a handwritten document myself, I find I give it more attention and it has a greater meaning with an emotional connection. Um, there's a Professor Wilkins at the University of Essex, says Mike, who does a lot of research on the impact of ref- the refresh rate of computer monitors and readability. There's also an issue with this sort of flicker on fatigue with long COVID too. Someone else says, yeah, flickering's a real problem. When I fell into the Facebook vortex, my dreams were like a flickering old silent movie, uh, moving too fast. It was terrible. Gosh. Now, um, now I don't know, if, again, if this one is for you, Eric. My autistic 10-year-old does not try to read, has extreme demand avoidance. I worry reading will never happen. He has fundamental uh, phonics knowledge but too anxious to try, can't even attend school. Who to turn to? What kind of strategies would you know or where would someone look for an expert? Maybe Black Dog. Um, contact somebody there. Um, Genevieve MacArthur. Um, the person asking the question can email me and I'll put the person in contact with Genevieve. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that's, um, yeah, that can be a real challenge. Well, um, thank you, Eric, so much for coming in and uh, having a yarn with us about reading. It's, um, I think a lot of people at home will be going, yeah, yeah, and you reading on the screen was bad for us. You're very welcome. Thank you yeah. for having me. This is Nightlife with Suzanne Hill.